All right, welcome to the conversation. We've got a great guest for you guys today. Uh, Dr. Wendy Osefo is multifaceted. Uh, she's Democratic strategist, founder and CEO of the 1954 Equity Project, a professor of education at John Hopkins University, and uh, now on uh, the Real Housewives of Potomac. Hmm. Uh, <laughs> so, Wendy, uh, welcome to TYT. We appreciate you coming on. Thank you for having me. Oh, uh, no problem. So, um, let, let's talk politics first. Uh, so, uh, you teach at Johns, uh, John Hopkins, and you, you've obviously uh, been part of a bunch of campaigns, etc. So, just uh, real quick, what's your take on this race? Uh, are you less nervous now that Biden has about a seven point lead nationally, or are you still pretty nervous about the possibility that Trump might win? I'm extremely nervous. Uh, if 2016 has taught us anything, there's so many people who have intentions on going to the poll, but they're not really indicated when we see those you know, poll numbers. I think that this election is going to be closer than a lot of people think. I don't think it's going to be a landslide, I think it's gonna come down you know, to to the last couple of ballots here and there. And I don't think, you know, if I could predict if I had a crystal ball, I don't think that this is something that we're gonna find out the night of the election. I think it's gonna take time, especially with all the absentee ballots. So I am extremely nervous. Um, I hope that everyone knows how consequential this election is, uh, not just for this year, but for years to come. And I am really hopeful that, you know, the the millennials are going to pull this out. Uh, and I have my fingers crossed, so we'll see. Yeah, so um, look, for I'm a progressive and a lot of progressives are stuck between a rock and a fascist. <laughs> so on the one hand, it's a super easy decision, I'll take the rock. And on the, on the other hand, Joe Biden says he's going to increase funding for police. Uh, and the Democratic Party has not been great about uh, changing the culture of policing in this country uh, and that has gotten us to a, a continued disastrous shape in how uh, police treat minorities in this country. So uh, are you, we know what's gonna happen with Trump. It's only gonna get worse. He's gonna incite more vigilante violence, etc. So that's obvious. Uh, what are your thoughts about how Biden uh, might react and, and are you concerned that uh, under his leadership, Democratic Party might also continue to not do enough? Yes, so I think that Biden is going to have to really decide where he wants his legacy to be. He has a decision to make. His legacy can simply be he is going to be the politician who ousted, you know, Donald Trump, who was, you know, for all recent memory for me, the worst, you know, president of my lifetime. Or he can really try to implement policies that will effectuate change in the communities that need it the most, and you know, that includes brown and black communities and low-income communities. So I think that what Biden has to do is he has to not pay lip service to individuals on the far left. He has to make sure that his agenda is very clear because once he gets into office, if he does get into office, people are gonna hold him to that. And we don't want someone that as soon as they come into office, we're saying, wait, 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 wait 
that's not what you said. You basically, you know, did a, a bait and switch on us. And so I think that Biden, we all know, he is not far left. He is not of the AOC ideology. He's not of the Sanders ideology. So he has to be true to himself, and we have to hold him accountable to what he states he is going to do. And quite frankly, I do think he's going to increase funding for police, but I also think that he needs to counter that by making sure that police departments institute a very clear policy for policing when it comes to black communities. If I was his advisor, that's what I would say to him. We don't expect you to be far left, but what you can do is counter increased funding by making sure that all of these police forces that have access to this funding has in place systems and policies that ensure that black and brown people will not be policed like they are animals. That's what we need to make sure happens. Yeah, so I am probably someone that folks in Washington would consider far left. In reality, I think my positions are right smack dab in the middle of the country. But, but and so I wish he would go farther. Uh, because if we don't change the culture of policing, um, right. I think that we're never going to get to the right place. This idea, I mean, look, Jacob Blake's a good example. So I'm curious what do you think mm-hmm. about it. So George Floyd is super easy because even white conservatives think it probably should have gotten off his neck uh, when it looked like he had already died. Um, But Jacob Blake gets shot in the back seven times and they say, well, he might have been going for a knife that was in the car that he didn't have at the time. I think a lot of people in this country say good enough, shoot him in the back seven times. And obviously I don't agree with that and a lot of folks don't agree with that. And the reason for that is because we tell the police never ever ever take a risk with your life. If you think you're in any kind of danger, and by the way, they have racial stereotypes in their head that black folks are more dangerous. So it becomes a lethal combination, just shoot to kill immediately. And I don't know that I've got confidence that Biden is going to challenge that ideology at its core. I don't know if Biden is going to challenge that ideology. But what I do know are the people who are going to vote for Biden want him to challenge that ideology. And it is incumbent upon Biden to make sure that policing in this country no longer targets black and brown communities. Whether we're looking at Jacob Blake, whether we're looking at Breonna Taylor, whether we're looking at Freddie Gray, there are individuals who do not have necessarily a clear cut case to say, "Oh, this shouldn't have happened. But that doesn't mean that the police are still not wrong. That doesn't mean that the actions taken by the police are not rooted in systemic racism. That does not mean that these families have to bury their children simply because their children were killed by the mere fact that the color of their skin is black. So whomever holds address at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue needs to ensure that black people are no longer looked at as less than in this country. Black people pay taxes, black people are voters, black People deserve the same rights that any other individual in this country has. So there is no excuse for us to be treated that half a citizen. So I am pressing Joe Biden and his entire, um, you know, I, I like to call them his committee, right? The people who advise him. We need to make sure that we're not just trying to vote Trump out. 
we need to make sure that we're voting in somebody who will ensure that these policies are at the forefront of their agenda on day one. I don't want to hear about police reform on your next year. I want to hear about police reform 24 hours after you have sworn an oath to be the president of this country. That's what I need. You know, I want to ask you on a personal level how frustrating it is because you know we had a Baltimore cop on the show a long time ago who said, "Look, did you think?" And he was a white guy who was from the military, and he said, "Yeah, we did a lot of bad things as cops in Baltimore, and and black people have been complaining about police abuse for as long as we've had police in this country." And he said, "Did you think they were all lying?" And I thought that was really powerful. Um, and you know the the stereotypes are maddening. The injustice of it is it makes it, honestly it nearly puts me in a rage. So uh, they say black people in the stereotypes are violent. It makes it almost sound like they're the ones who had slaves and whipped them and killed them and did all those things, as opposed to the reverse. So um, and then I just and in your case. You're a doctor who teaches PhD students at one of the best universities in the country. And, and so when you see the stereotypes about education and, and, and violence and all those things regarding African Americans, how frustrating is it for you on a personal level? It's deeply frustrating. It's deeply frustrating because as an educator, I am faced every day with some of these stereotypes that you know my students may have. And what I try to do is I try to push up against these stereotypes because you know when we talk about police reform, unfortunately, policing starts in schools. And whether that is because black children are often penalized at higher levels than their white counterparts, or there is a lower expectation of academic excellence for black children, these things happen at a very young age. And aside from just being a professor, I'm also a mom. I'm a mom to three children, and I have two boys. So my seven year old and five year old, when I look at what's going on in the world, I look at it through their eyes. It is deeply frustrating that your color. Your skin color is seen as a weapon in this country. It's deeply frustrating that when I have to go to the emergency room because I have a family member there, instead of me worrying about the health of my family member, I am telling the nurses and the doctors how educated that family member is so they can treat them with the care that any other individual will get whether or not they were educated. I want them to know that this is a member of society that is doing positive things. And so they're doing positive things, so please don't let them die, they're not a thug. That's frustrating. Being black in America is frustrating. But I will tell you what, the fight for social justice is just beginning. I will continue to fight until I have no more fight in me. And outside of all these stereotypes, we know that we have to make it better for generations to come. And for me, that is my seven year old and my five year old son who all are depending on me. So we have to change this. Yeah, that's a powerful story because um, so I'm Turkish, my wife is Chinese. Uh, so, you know, but we, you know, when our kids, uh, go to a hospital, we don't, even though we're minorities, we don't have to convince the doctors that their life is worth saving. And so when I hear you say that, it breaks my heart. And I hope that it affects others enough 
to show some degree of solidarity so we can fix these problems. So uh, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, and, uh, and and it's a, it's funny that I'm not used to someone so educated being on uh, TV. <laughs> so, so it's it's fascinating that you're on Real Housewives of Potomac. So we'll, maybe we'll talk about that next time too. Thanks for joining us. Really Sounds appreciate good. it. Thank <laughs> you for having me. Absolutely. All right, back on the conversation. Uh, now we're gonna go talk to an old friend. You might have seen him once before on the conversation, Eric Olson. Um, so he was running for state office last we talked to him, uh, but now he's running for uh, mayor of Palmdale, California. And um, and Eric, it's great to have you back. Hey buddy, thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. And guys, you might remember that Eric is the progressive who um, outed uh, the Democratic Party a little bit in California for corruption issues. And so I thought he had a lot of courage in doing that. And now he's got courage in running for the mayor of one of the larger cities in within Los Angeles County that not a lot of people talk about because it's a little bit more on the outer edges. So Eric, what made you decide to run for mayor? Well, I've been watching the response that the city has had to the COVID crisis. and I've realized we're lacking real leadership. The city hasn't done one thing outside of the county county guidelines. And even last night I was watching the city council meeting and the mayor sat there the whole time in a room with other members of the government with no mask. And it's just, we need somebody that's gonna make decisions based on facts and science and what really pushed me over the edge is the city was on a trend towards bankruptcy before the COVID crisis. And this COVID crisis is almost going to ensure it. And their solution is to propose a sales tax increase. And we both know that study after study shows sales tax disproportionately affect the middle class and the working poor. And I decided I'm gonna get in this race and oppose this because it's time to have someone fight back and stand up for all of the citizens of Palmdale, not just the wealthy developers on the west side. Yeah, so of course most folks don't know what's going on in Palmdale. So I wanna explain who the mayor is in a second. But there's something unique about this situation. Even though you're more progressive, you have the Democratic Party nomination, right? That's correct. Uh, I'm pre-endorsed with 100% of the delegate vote. Yeah, so already that's news. Yeah. <laughs> so that's different, and that's great. That's great news. Um, and I was just endorsed uh, yesterday by Brian Cafario, a friend of ours who ran for Congress up here before you did. That uh, he's a real favorite in Palmdale. Yeah, absolutely. And and Caforio was certainly more progressive than most of the people running when he ran. He was just Democrat, actually. And so it's great to get his his backing on that. And so let's go back to the mayor, and then I want to get back to Democratic politics as well. But so now, who's the mayor of Palmdale? And and explain to folks what the situation in Palmdale is. Sure. So Palmdale has been riddled with corruption for a very long time. The previous mayor, Jim Ledford, was indicted by the FBI and he's still uh, scheduled for trial on the charges. 
the current mayor was his um, acting mayor pro tem uh, when he was arrested. And he has two Republican challengers and all three of these Republicans that are in the race at one point were friends of the previous mayor who was arrested. And now that he's gone, they're just jockeying for position. But it's really the same same members of the same good old boys club. Yeah, so by the way, the website's Eric for Palmdale.com. We'll have the links down below. Make sure you click on those. Even if you're endorsed by the Democratic Party, if you're a progressive, you definitely need help in fundraising. And I'm also endorsed by Progressive Democrats of America and our revolution. Okay, so again, it's like, I almost can't believe you're endorsed by the Democratic Party. It's wonderful. It still needs to be ratified on the 8th, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> let's hope I didn't cause too many problems in that assembly race for them. Right, and then look guys, I wanna encourage you to run for office like this. Because at, at, if you're not running for Congress or, or, or a really big national office, it is possible to get the Democratic Party nomination. It is possible to win these elections. And Palmdale should definitely go Democrat. So that that's actually what I want to go to next, Eric. Uh, I, I, you know, I as you know, as you alluded to there, and a lot of folks know, I ran for Congress in that district, and I'm just stunned that Palmdale doesn't have a Democratic mayor. So what's going on there? I don't know. The Democratic politics in the Antelope Valley is very strange, and you know, the activists keep placating towards Republicans that will throw them a bone as if we, if that's all we deserve, right? But we have an advantage in voter registration. We just need a campaign that's going to inspire Democrats to vote. See, that's the problem with Democrats. Republicans vote no matter what, Democrats need to be inspired. And so hopefully that's what we're going to do because if we, you know, consolidate Democrats and being the party endorsed Democrats should be able to do that. We have the advantage in voter registration. There's no reason for it. Yeah. Well, but so that's a disadvantage for the Democratic Party, which is not good news. But it's an advantage for progressives because we excite people to vote. Right. <laughs> so, right. So that's why you winning is actually not just about Palmdale, but I think it's important. Even if I dare say nationally, because if we can have progressives winning these substantial city and state elections, it sends a message that we could win anywhere. And that we're better at winning than standard corporate Democrats because we do excite voters to show up. So in Palmdale, there's of course, and in all the entire Antelope Valley, there's been a shifting demographic as well. So it used to be more white right wingers who were in the Antelope Valley, but now it's there's certainly a lot more Latinos and more Democratic voters. So Eric, what's your plan for exciting them and getting them to vote in an election like this? So I'm running what I call Palmdale for all, because you know there has been a fraction of society that's been either ignored or just flat out harassed. And we've created distrust amongst the Hispanic community. And we need a candidate that's gonna restore that faith. We have extremely high COVID numbers here. And I, my theory is that the Hispanic population doesn't get tested because they don't trust government. And why would they trust government when you got a mayor 
that is using code enforcement to harass street vendors. You know, we need to redistribute, you know, have more equitable Palmdale. We have 16 buildings that take Section 8 vouchers. All of them are on the east side in the Hispanic neighborhoods. Why aren't there any on the west side? I found $9 million diverted from a drainage fund on the east side used to develop the mall and auto dealerships on the west side. So money's being stolen from them. And I will be a champion for everybody in Palmdale, not just you know the wealthy. Let's dive a little bit more into policy too. So that those are huge issues. Although I have to confess that I did a lot of campaigning at that mall and enjoyed the mall. Um, <laughs> yeah, I wanted to tell people like when you got in the race, I was saying, oh, you know, there was obviously concern, but I watched how hard you campaigned, and then I'd be done for the day and run to the mall to do something, and then I would see Jank there talking to people campaigning, and to prove that he's committed, look, he's talking to me still. We've stayed in contact. You were all about this district, and you still are, and we appreciate that very much. I appreciate you saying that. And Annalise Vincent is also running for city council. She was part of the campaign as well. She was wonderful, and I hope people can support her too. So, and by the way, I got kicked out of that mall several times for like <laughs> continuing to campaign when security told me not to. Anyways, Eric. So let's talk a little bit more about policy. So what else could a progressive Democrat do there that could make a difference and excite people to show up to vote? Well, I think there's a lot of things that we can do. I think you know, standing up for working families and fighting the sales tax is huge right now. Getting the message across that you know we're gonna have science and fact-based decision making when we Decide on anything, really, especially COVID. Um, restoring faith to everybody in the community, I think, is the most important thing. Um, and what I want to do is create a, a commission of equity. And the only requirement is you be a resident of Palmdale, and everybody is represented. And that's going to be what my administration is going to look like. City Hall will have equal representation. I mean, we need to stand up for everybody and bring everybody together, and all of our policies need to reflect that. So, Eric, one last thing: you were in the Coast Guard, and and you know you've got an interesting backstory there. Why did you decide to get into politics at all? You know, I think I went in the military because of a call to service. Right? When I go to the VA and I get amazing health care, I think. Why can't everybody have this? Isn't that what I fought for? And I, you know, my son is going to be three years old in December. And at the end of my first term at mayor, he'll be five years old, ready to go to school. And I want to make sure that the schools are safe and the opportunity for him is there. All right, love it. Eric for Palmdale.com. Guys, again, we win elections like this, and it sends a message to everyone that progressives are viable everywhere, everywhere. And these races are very winnable as long as we can get some fundraising, some volunteers going. And that's the number one problem with progressives, that infrastructure isn't usually there for them. But in this case, you can make that happen. Eric Olson, thanks for your service. Thanks for running for mayor. I think it'd make a huge difference. Yeah, thank you so much for having me.